You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this episode is hosted by Giandra LaBeouf. It's a BGM Podcast Extra. She is interviewing some of the top folks that are responsible for the behind the scenes creation of one of the best shows right now on television. You probably have guessed it. We've talked about it on Black Girl Nerds. We've done recaps. We've done deep dives into it. We even did a Twitter chat about it on Twitter spaces. We're talking about WandaVision. WandaVision actually did a Marvel Studios Assembled that dropped on Disney Plus today, the making of WandaVision. So if you want to learn more about that behind-the-scenes action, check that out. But for now, on this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast, this is an exclusive interview with Jack Schaefer, head writer, Matt Shackman, director, and Mary Lovanos, co-executive producer of WandaVision. So for all of you WandaVision fans and Marvel Cinematic Universe fans, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. First up is head writer Jack Schaefer. Second is director Matt Shackman. And last but certainly not least is Mary Lovanos, co-executive producer. I am so excited to talk to you because we never get these opportunities to talk to writers and showrunners and and people bring forth these marvelous projects for us to kind of give us a little a chance as press people to ask all the questions we wanted to that you couldn't reveal to us during the course of the press junket. So I went back and I watched our first interview and I'll pose you the same question that I did then. Is it as simple as saying Wanda is good or evil? And you now that we've seen it all and what she's experienced and grief and all of these traumatic things that's happened to her, is it still as simple as saying good or bad or good or evil? Or where do you think Wanda lies within that? Um, yeah, absolutely. First of all, it's so nice to see you again. Um, I I was a little bit hoping you'd be wearing that pink top again that I love so much, but I really love this like olive oh. you. So I'm feeling great about it. Um, um, uh, I, I don't even know what did I say last time. I mean, my answer this is for the same. We're absolutely not. It's not that simple. Like, no way is it that simple. What, what did I say last time? Yeah, you said exactly I that. Um, no. It, <laughs> Yeah, it's it is it is so complicated, just like how human beings are complicated, um, and that's what we wanted most of all. Is we wanted to put a you know a complicated um, woman on screen um, with all of her nuance and her flaws and her um, 
her values and her um, her mental well-being um, and her desires um, and her trauma, like all, all, all of it, all of it. Um, and um, and no, nothing is that simple. And it's not that simple for Agatha. Agatha has so much goodness and light inside of her. And, um, and you know, she, in the right storyline with the right perspective, she's a good guy. Um, that's what I find um, the most fascinating about these characters and these ar archetypes is the opportunity um, to play in the light and dark and in the shadows and in the shades of gray. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that, that, you know, we got to craft a story where we see Wanda's selfishness and we see the hurt that she inflicts on other, you know, trauma begets trauma. Um, and, and I, you know, I find that fascinating to watch and it makes me, um, I don't know. I, I, st I love her and I feel protective of her and I, and I root for her, but I also feel like my eyes are open that she, she did terrible things. Mm -hmm. With, with characters like that in other Marvel films, there's a clear bad guy and a clear good guy. And back to her with, you mentioned about her selfishness and her trauma, it almost made her that more endearing and that more relatable. What is it about her type of trauma specifically compared to say like a Thanos who lost his daughter and they had, you know, all these other characters in the MCU. There was something about Wanda that was very endearing and relatable. And I feel like nearly anyone would do exactly what she did considering the trauma that she faced. So where, where do you, why do you think the audience just gravitated to her some more? Cause she's not a protagonist or an antagonist. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a wonderful question. And I, I would, I would like posit a lot of theories about that. I, I think the first thing I would say is she's not trying to rule the world. She, mm -hmm. she's not, there's, there's no power grab. Um, there's no, you know, enormous like global stakes motive going on. The lady just wants a simple life with the people that she loves and anyone can relate to that. She wants to feel good. She wants to laugh. She wants to be safe. I mean, that is chief among it, um, among everything for her is she wants to be safe. She wants, she wants an end to these violent intrusions in her life. Um, and I think everyone knows that feeling of, of just let me be in a situation where I can relax and I can love and I can feel comfortable and I can be, you know, I can hold the people I love close. Um, so I think that that is it. And then I think, I think I, I really credit Lizzie. I think that she and Paul um, performed these roles with such um, integrity um, you know, and, and, you know, all the sitcom pieces, like all that sort of like artifice they, they did in a technical way. And it's also beautiful and, and their physicality and the humor and all of that is great, but the core of it is, is so authentic. Um, and they take it very seriously. Like they, they don't look down their nose at the troubles of superheroes. They're, they're present for all of those emotional scenes. And so I think, I think I would say that that would be how I would explain sort of another side of why people just are so dialed in with them. There's something very pure about their performances and also about their desires and what they want out of life. With that being dialed in a big part of what made the show so popular from the outside looking in is just looking for me, looking at how so many other people were enjoying it with me and having this tool of social media where people were discussing and, and comparing theories, et cetera. When you guys 
uh, start a project like this and you're crafting a script and a story and there's all these hidden things that are within the story as the head writer, how privy are you to where the placement of some of those things are? Like I watch so many fan videos of, do you see his, his cufflinks? If he's wearing these cufflinks and this means this and this, how priv- are you personally involved in the placement of those things? Not that you're doing it directly, but how do you confer with the other team that are bringing the show forth to plant those Easter eggs to get our minds wondering where our characters are going to go? Yeah, I mean, th- those details are really, that's that's the sort of the craft of, you know, Maya's Rubio and Joseph Feltis and their like wardrobe genius, you know, and, and Mark Worthington and his production design and Russell and the, you know, the props like that with it, with shows is, you know, with a, with a machine as big as Marvel, they hire the very best people, people who are at the top of their game and they bring all of their genius to, to what we're doing. And so those like small details, I'm not involved. Like I see it, you know, I, there are things that I miss. Like I miss the cufflinks. I missed his tie. Like all that's just, like that's people being good at their jobs is what that is um you know my, i i'm more the sort of like you know what's in the script what are the what are all the um what are the plot twists and turns what's buried in dialogue that's that's sort of where i live um and and it's these extraordinary department heads and and um technicians who who just take all that to the next level i also you know it's the easter eggs like the visual easter eggs that's much more like that, that is really more Marvel crafting that. And I think not just because like, it's not entirely my department, it's more that that's not my motivation as a writer. Um, the Easter eggs are fun. I'm more interested in like, wh- what are the, um, what is planning and payoff? Like what's good writing? Like what, how do I, how do I hold my audience members hand through this where they know where to look when, and their brain is teased when, um, that's how I approach it. Less, you know, in terms of like Marvel mythology and Marvel Easter eggs, it's much more about how do we get the maximum tension out of this narrative. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with the payoffs, there were some very major parts where maybe I think it was maybe episode two or three when we start to see the glitching of Wanda and that something else bigger isn't at play. Ranking the biggest reveals or the biggest ahas of this season, what would you say were the three biggest reveals from your perspective as a writer? There are things that we that we were dialed into as fans, but what would you say were the top three moments that you really were like, I wanna, I wanna grab them? Would it be uh, the radio, speaking to her through the radio, or the first time we see the glitching, or maybe uh, Tiana's character um, able to come back through and still be cognizant of the the outside world. What were the top three payoff moments, would you say? Uh, that's really hard to choose. That's like choosing mm-hmm. my, between my children. Um, <laughs> I, and, and I wouldn't like characterize them all as reveals. I mean, I think they're the sort of like gut punch moments or the the moments where you're like, um, you know, what did I just see or, or like, oh, I'm so scared or that's not what I expected. Um, I think one that I'm very proud of is that jump cut um, in episode three, when, when Vision is standing near the couch and, and he comes over and he says, I think there's something wrong here. And there's a jump cut and he, and he's like right back at the edge of the couch. She's no longer standing there. Um, I mean, that was on the page and, and we, you know, in talking about it, we were like, 
that's going to feel so destabilizing. The audience is like on a, on a, on a subconscious level, they will be rocked in their seat and they might even rewind. They might even think there's something wrong with the platform. So that just seemed to me to be very daring and very exciting. And also would accomplish the goal of putting us, aligning us with Wanda and feeling how, how she feels like destabilized and confused and, and, um, and so emotional, like on a, on a, in ways that she can't fully understand. So that's a big one. Mr. Heart choking is a big one. Um, because it was a real gamble for me. Um, I was betting that, that a man choking would have like, have the, um, emotional impact on the audience, like the same way a fight sequence in an MCU movie would. Um, and that, that really, like, I, it was a challenge, I think to myself, like, and I, and I was, and I also was like, I wonder if this is going to stick because I feel like it's not big enough, but can we craft the episode so that it is huge, that it does feel like a shattering of everything. Um, so I would say that one. And then, um, and then fake Pietro showing up on the doorstep. I think I'll, I'll never get over that. <laughs> I, fake Pietro down there shut down the internet with Evan popped up and 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 they're walking outside from outside of the hex and like she recast him. There were just so many wonderfully written moments of the show that just really resonated with me. I just I enjoyed watching the reactions of people discussing them and theorizing of of what was to come, and no one could ever get it quite right, and that's what made it even more entertaining. Is that gratifying for you as a writer when people think they know where the trail is going and then all of a sudden you turn us in a whole nother direction? I mean, uh, thank you. Thank you for everything that you just said. And I'm delighted that you feel that way about it. Um, you know, I, it, it's not actually my favorite thing when people go in a direction that's like really off the trail. It makes me a little bit anxious. Mm -hmm. What I do love is is the a react, you know, now that it's all said and done and wrapped up, the reaction of people being like, yeah, this show said what it was going to be the whole time. Like grief is the villain. Like that, like all of that making sense and feeling like the proper payoff to the journey that we've been on, that would that's what feels satisfying is that people accept an episode like episode eight, that they that that to them is a gift, that we gave them a therapy episode. And, and they said, thank you. Um, that's, that really is what's the most gratifying and fulfilling thing for me. And lastly, it's been clear from the beginning that this was kind of a precursor leading into Dr. Strange too. And so fans have been along that journey with that film looming out there whenever we're going to get it. How does that how does that, how do you as a writer prepare for leading into, into something else? Are you given very strict limitations of how to contain a story? How do you start to alter your writing of the show to lead into what will be an even bigger, a bigger film? Yeah. A big film. Yeah. Huge film. Um, it's, it's really not about limitations or restrictions. It's about a constant dialogue with Marvel, with my producer, Mary Lovanos, who's in contact with those producers. Um, there's so much integration at Marvel. Everybody needs to know what they need to know in order to do their jobs well. Um, it also 
you know, my focus was our show and the completeness of our show. And, and that handoff is, um, yes, it's like woven throughout, but it really like the rubber hits the road in the tags. Um, and so it's a lot of rewriting of the tags in order to make sure that the handoff is, is smooth and is appropriate. And that it happens, it happens late in the game. Um, and that, you know, that's what happened with this one. That was awesome. Well, the handoff was great. It was like a track team. So now I'm excited to see what the next installment. Thank you. Thank you for this series and your, your wonderful gifts and your time today. It was beyond anything I could have expected. And I enjoyed it just so much. Thank you. That, again. that means so much. I love talking with you. I love your questions. I very much hope to see you again in the future. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. I hope so too. Matt, first of all, Congratulations. Marvelous. This is marvelous. This has been such a fun ride to take with all of you to, to do these interviews and, and watch the series in real time with everyone else instead of getting it ahead of time. And the work that you all gave us was marvelous. Now that you are on the other side now, how, how do you feel? Because, you know, big projects come with big expectations. <laughs> That's true. I'm I'm very happy to have come through and and have it uh you know have it it's been so well received that that just brings so much joy to me and i know it brings a great deal of joy to everyone who worked on the the project jack and the writers the actors the crew everyone was so happy with how it was received um it was an enormous undertaking for two years so i think my family is very happy that i am done now i get to spend a lot more time with my wife and daughter Mm -hmm. I was going to ask that. Well, your wife and your daughter, or well, your wife anyway, is cognizant of what you do. And I think back as a creative person to my own family and trying to explain to them what I do. Do your, does your, say your older family fully grasp what you've been involved with and what this has been like for you to, to bring this forth after two years? It's been really sweet. My daughter has really understood what I do through WandaVision. She was with me in Atlanta as I was shooting it and it's been a couple of years. So from three to five years old, she's learned about what I do through this project. She went to visit mm -hmm. the set. She was around, she met all the people. She got to pretend fight with our stunt guys. You know, she, was, <laughs> she had a great time on it. And then she's loved watching the show too. And she's been my number one fan, which is really sweet. She can't wait to watch the next episode and sing along with the theme songs. And I, of course, had to make her skip a couple of episodes and scenes that were a little too scary for a five-year-old. <laughs> but for the most part, she loved it, which is great. Is she sad now that it's over? Yes, she is. <laughs> with what has been just amazing to me, and we don't really have the luxury to do this with the Marvel films, you know, we all see it at different paces and we discuss it and you have purists and you have, you know, uh, regular fans and everything, but everyone had to consume it at the same time. Have you been able, are you even able to dial into those types of things? Because for creative people, critique, uh, appreciation, it's a, it's a, a very slippery slope and can have its own debilitating effects on one's mental health. Can you even get involved with that now that it's over to see some of the reactions? And what do you do now, now that it's complete? That's a great question. We were very taken with the passionate response to the show, the creative theories, the TikTok 
videos, the memes, they're wonderful, especially around Agatha all along. And, you know, it, it was hard to avoid those. We didn't want to avoid them. It was really fun to see what people were, were saying in response to the show. But yeah, social media can be, can be, a, can be a rough place. So as a, as a creator of something, you definitely want to uh, uh, limit your amount of time living there. Um, but we're, you know, trying to tell a relatively simple story, a story about a love story and a story about how you come to terms with loss and how you grieve. And um, so we maintained our focus on telling that story and all of the other fun with sort of the Easter eggs and everything we knew was sort of just a layer on top of what was a core emotional story and an emotional journey. Mm-hmm. When you, when as fans and viewers, when we watch Marvel projects, we are familiar with the sexier character, so to say, the bigger, the Captain America is the, you know, the bigger characters. But here we got to develop this really strong attachment to the to two characters that are not who you first think of when you think of a Marvel film. And so it's been probably spectacular to people who are fans of these particular characters to see a story like that. What are your feelings on now being able to bring forth these two these two characters who largely fly under the radar when you think when you think of Marvel properties and kind of forging a new path for more character for more story development and just getting to know these characters in particular and the root of what made them who they are? I think it's a testament to the amazing. Did I- are you there? Yeah, okay, I got paused for a second. Okay, no worries. I glitched for a second. You glitched, oh no. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's a testament to the to the filmmakers, the writers, to Marvel Studios, and really to mostly to Paul and Lizzie for how indelible they made these characters and this relationship with such limited screen time. I mean, I think that 10 or 15 minutes of screen time together in all of the films that they've been in before WandaVision. And yet we really felt like we knew them, even though they had a smaller role in the larger story, people were rooting for them, rooting for that connection, rooting for this unusual love story between a robot and a witch. The fact that we can now spend six hours getting to know them really well, getting to dive deep into their past and set up their future is incredibly rewarding. And they do have a huge history in the comics. So they have been uh, the center point of a lot of different stories throughout the years at Marvel, much like Cap and Iron Man and the rest. And now uh, when they're not a part of an Avengers level film and they're not trying to save the world, we can focus a lot more on who they are as characters. And we can also introduce new characters like Monica Rambeau, who's gonna go forward and have a huge new uh, role to play in Captain Marvel 2. And, and of course, um, Wanda's gonna head off into Doctor Strange 2. So these six hour Disney Plus shows really are like long comic runs where you can delve deep into the intimate moments and set up things to come. Mm-hmm. It's been very touching with setting up these things to run. It's been very touching to see how people have really gravitated to to Wanda and her trauma and the things that she's experienced. Was the reaction more emotional than you thought it would be? Because I've noticed now legions of fans and new fans and, and watchers are really, really protective of her. 
and and her story and are just aching to know more people related to it who've experienced their own trauma was the the emotional did you anticipate such an emotional attachment to her i didn't anticipate uh how the world would receive it it's hard to think that way when you're making mm-hmm. something. you're just trying to tell your story the best you can but that story was about trauma and it was about the legacy of trauma and about how all of us have lost people and how we grieve and how we we build our life back from those um, moments that feel like they will destroy you. But um, how can you how can you not be destroyed? How can you come, how can you come back? And so this is about uh, Wanda taking that journey along the sort of Elizabeth Kubler Ross stages of grief. You know, from denial all the way to acceptance at the end. This early episode, she doesn't know where she is. She's built this fantasy world for herself. Doesn't know how she ended up in a black and white sitcom. Doesn't know her history with Vision. And by the end, she's of course has to um, say goodbye to him for the last time. You know, and, um, and that journey I think takes on extra resonance in the world right now because we're all suffering through this pandemic and so many lives have been lost and we could not have predicted that. So I think part of that has been just the um, the strangeness of when this ended up getting released and the thematics that we were playing with happening to, unfortunately, align with what was happening in the world uh, at large. With her, with that and with her suffering, it made her connect in such a different way than say some of the well, you know, I don't want to call her a bad guy. We don't know what will happen in the future properties and what she will be. But she connected with people in a way that I don't really feel like she alienated anyone. You know, you have these very polarizing bad guys or bad characters because so many people watched this and thought I'd probably do the exact same thing if I could. If I couldn't turn back time, at least I would encapsulate, you know, the best parts of my life and keep them contained compared to say a Thanos who wants to just get rid of half of the world. And that solves it. She didn't really want to kill anyone. She just wanted to keep safe that the, the people and the love that she had. Um, Is that, so knowing that about her, where does that put her on the scale of, of black and white in the gray area of good and bad? I'm much more interested in the gray area. I'm much more interested in in a world where there are no heroes and villains, really. She didn't intentionally uh, do anything to harm the people of Westview. She built that world in an explosion of grief. She was overwhelmed by her emotion, and she thrust herself into this world of her own making to create solace for herself. And it's only at the end really because of Agatha who says, look at what you're doing to everyone else here. You know, when she wakes them up, she finally encounters what's really going on under the surface and what she is doing to the people of Westview. And she doesn't want to do that to them. You know, and she feels, she wants to open it up. She wants to let them go, but then she has to also give up vision and the kids and she's not quite ready in that moment. But by the end she is, you know, by the end she gets to the place where she has accepted what she has to say goodbye to. And those people in Westview to them, yeah, she's a villain, you know, look at the the way they're looking at her at the end as she walks through town. There's not a lot of love there <laughs> um, and that's understandable. But then Monica gives us the other perspective because Monica does understand because Monica has lost her mom, has been trying to put her life back together after having been blipped and unblipped. 
And she has, from the beginning of the show, understood Wanda on that level. And that's allowed her to advocate for Wanda and to look at both sides. Because it's so important, I think, and, and the, I think the best stories look at things from every angle. And the best kind of characters are neither good nor bad. They're just human like the rest of us, even the superheroes. Absolutely. Speaking of, of superheroes, these actors were phenomenal. Elizabeth and Paul and Tiana and Catherine. I mean, they were phenomenal from the very first black and white episode all the way through the end. How did you all come together? Well, didn't really come together, but how do you celebrate wrapping something, a project like this, given what our conditions are? Did you guys do anything together to close the book together? We did. We did. We had a really lovely Zoom on <laughs> Friday when the show came out and everyone is scattered, but we raised a glass of champagne for some, cider for others, um, <laughs> and, uh, and celebrated it and talked about it. It is strange because normally you would have premieres and press junkets and all sorts of ways to kind of be together. Um, but this time has, has changed that much like it changed everything else about how we made the show. Um, so in a way, um, uh, it, it was unusual, but we made the most of it as we did every step of the way through post production filming during this time. And it's what everybody is doing in this world, which is, um, finding connection despite isolation. Mm -hmm. And lastly, we've always known that this was going to be kind of like a precursor for, for Dr. Strange too. Now you get to, or do you get to sit back as a fan and see where your baby now goes and goes off to school now with some other kids. Do you get to enjoy it as a fan? Are you working on that project? You know, how does this now go for you with this movie looming into the future somewhere? Yeah, I, I, I will enjoy it as a fan. I am not involved in making Doctor Strange 2 or Captain Marvel 2. Mm -hmm. I've been a lifelong Marvel fan, comics as well as movies, TV, and Marvel Studios especially. So um, I will be there on opening day, if I can, in the front row, or I'll be watching it at home, whatever, uh, whatever is possible at that moment. I can't wait to see where the stories go. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what? Actually, I have time for, for one more. The Easter eggs. People went crazy. I went down the rabbit hole once the show was done watching all these channels and this egg and this and this cuff link and this thing. And I love how the cast kind of whipped us in a frenzy and teased us about it, too. Do you have a single favorite Easter egg moment part of the show where you were just like, oh, this is going to kill them when they see this? For, for Jack, when I talked to her, one of hers was when Evan showed up as a, a, as the, uh, as a Fiatro. Do you have a favorite moment of the show? That is a huge, that is the, that is the big moment. I think that I'm with Jack on Evan's arrival, which I know has also divided some fans too. Um, but that moment I think works on so many different levels, certainly the surprise that it's not who you expect it to be. Uh, it's not the Pietro that you think you know, but that's both a meta joke about sitcom recasting, which happens all the time, the two Darrens unbewitched and so on. Um, but it's also this, it's about grief too. It's about, we see what we wanna see. We see what we need to see. And 
Um, this is just a, you know, an instrument of Agatha trying to get information and push Wanda in the direction that she wants. But to Wanda, it, it might be the brother that she needs, you know? And so it works on so many different levels, emotionally, comedically, met in a meta theatrical way. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd pick, I'd pick that moment too. That's awesome. Thank you for your talent. And this was such a wonderful project to take this journey with all of you. Thank you so much for your time Thank and you. your talents. Thank you. Mary, this has been such a, a tremendous ride that we've been on with you all. And now after two years of hard work and being on this side of it, how do you feel now being on this side of it and seeing the explosion that it caused with discussion and, and Marvel fans? Uh, having worked on it for, for quite some time and to now see it out in the world, it's just so cool to see the discussions um, and and the response mirror what we've really felt and you know dealt with all along. Like the writers' room was an incredible place where all the sort of <laughs> all different versions of the fan theories that have existed on the world that we've we've discussed, we've brainstormed. It was such a fun, incredible process, um, and you know for the emotional core of the show um, to be resonant. Um, and to resonate out in the world. That's really lovely because it was something that was really important to all of us um, internally is telling a process um, or um, depicting the process of grieving in a um, thoughtful way. With it, with that thoughtful way of telling, what struck me is what a beautiful collaborative relationship you and Jack and the rest of the people working on the project seem to have from the talent to the people who are off camera just seemed like a very warm, very great environment that everybody was supremely passionate about. What is it going to be like now to unwind from this part of the Marvel Universe with Jack and now moving into the new, the new portions with Captain Marvel 2 and Guardians and just closing out this chapter? Um. Uh, I, I miss, I miss them all t terribly already. Uh, the writer's room has missed each other since, uh, you know, two years, many years ago now, I think it is. Um, everyone still talks and everyone has, you know, come together to watch and enjoy the, the episodes airing together and the fan response together. That's been a really cool process. Um, and I, I would say what I love about Marvel is that, you know, Kevin, everyone from the top down on all of our projects, you know, working with caring, you know, empathetic individuals. It's just exciting to continue to create stories with, with people like that. With, uh, with creating Wanda's story, what particularly struck me was usually you have your hero, you have your anti-hero, you have your archetypes in every film. With her, it was very gray. Um, I talked to Jack early on of if it was simplifying it as much as good and evil and where it lies in between. But with Wanda in particular, so many parts of the fandom related to her and gravitated to her instead of having a like a Thanos reaction or, you know, that type of super villain. What do you think what made what made Wanda so great a character that 
it kind of drew everyone to her, like just the layers of her character. Mm -hmm. What was so interesting about working with Wanda Maximoff, the character is that she's an incredibly misunderstood individual to begin with. And from what we've seen thus far in the MCU, um, she's been on the run, you know, practically been labeled a terrorist, you know, she's labeled that in WandaVision. Um, And at the end of the series, you know, she's not let off the hook. Um, She has um, implicated people in her, her pain. Um, She's, uh, she's forced her pain upon others. um, And, you know, perhaps not at the very beginning of the show, but at certain points actually consciously continues to compromise, you know, morally in order to have, you know, this family, which is with vision, um, uh, which is at the core of, you know, what you, you know, desperately wants as a person. Um, but it, but to see Lizzie play those gray areas and to to live in this this space that I think, you know, we can all really identify with um, helped Wanda to feel, con- you know, additionally um, understandable. Um, and Lizzie just did a great job giving her such depth in this. It's really an incredible thing. Lizzie was fan- fantastic. And she did a lot of heavy lifting with a lot of different emotions and range and characters within her character. And she was just really, really awesome. Also awesome, uh, the whole cast was awesome, but we get to finally learn more about Monica Rambeau and what her role is, which is is fascinating because we probably wouldn't have had this opportunity to see it a little more in depth than with this. What's going to happen with her in her journey as now we move from WandaVision and into Captain Marvel 2 because we're getting teased of what her origin is. How is that going to continue to grow? well, one of the, Monica was an incredible discovery and, you know, the product of really the cool opportunity that is, you know, Disney Plus and these expanding narratives. Um, the fact that we got to do a true crossover was really cool. Um, and something that we see in the comics, you know, she in the comics is a leader among heroes and lives in the realm of, you know, a lot of different sort of genre spaces and interacts with so many different characters. Um, and she's such an, um, such an empath. Um, and that being at the core of who she is as a character and that empathy being the kernel of what transforms her into a hero here um, felt really cool and why it was a perfect opportunity um, for, for Monica to evolve into an adult, um, the MCU. Um, but, you know, and for what is all next for Monica in the universe, you know, she's an incredible individual. And, you know, from what we saw, I think it's safe to say she's got a a lot ahead of her. She definitely does. Was she, how she and Wanda were the only people who could really understand each other and their bond was so beautiful. And just the scenes with Elizabeth and, and with Tiana were really, really terrific. Uh, some of the best in the series. If, singing the praises about your your wonderful cast, what have you enjoyed most about seeing these talented people together to to really bring this to life? Gosh, um, 
our, the actors are so incredible. Um, and there's so much discovery that occurs when working together and working on the scene work and talking about character and having their input as to how they see the character evolving and integrating that into the work. Um, they're just incredible collaborators. Um, and the the depth that you see on screen is, you know, it's it's so so much, so much them. <laughs> now that when when a series ends, the fans were sad because it's gone away and we have to wait till until what the next thing is. Is it the same experience for you when you close the chapter on a project to kind of unwind yourself from it and, and move on to the next thing? Uh, certainly have uh, separation anxiety <laughs> when a project ends because it's so fast and furious for so long and it's all day every day and then suddenly you know the last the effects review ends and you know the last episode airs and everything sort of comes to a crazy standstill ish and um to to think about the future that these characters have in the MCU. It's uh, bittersweet for it to end, but just super exciting to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, when you're involved on multiple projects that like you are, how do you, how do you plan? What is your internal process like as you think these things are, you know, we're seeing the finished version of one, but you're you know, knee deep into your next assignments. How do you prioritize yourself of how you want to to move through each thing? Like, how do you plan for yourself? Um, actually, one of the special things about being at Marvel is that we do get to focus on, you know, one, maybe two um, projects at a time, which allows us to commit ourselves fully to the work that we're doing. Um, but, in terms of my process, I love the research phase. I love going back and reading all the comics possible, you know, screenshotting cool panels and categorizing everything in weird, nerdy ways and, um, you know, diving into the history and allow, you know, sharing that information with everyone else on the show and allowing sort of the um, collective consciousness to form and solidify into, you know, the project that we're all making. It's a really, it's a really cool process, yeah. And lastly, a huge, huge thing as part of the discussion were Easter eggs. There's so many fan theory videos and even the palette themselves, they were really fun with teasing us a little bit, like pay attention to the cufflinks, you know, pay attention to, you know, just trying to tease us a little bit. How do you react when you see the explosion on just even those finite details. We know that people appreciate the characters and the storyline and all that, but even now down to the intimate neckties and, and, and those aspects of what Marvel does to further our, our fandom. Uh, it's really cool to see the fan discussion surrounding Easter eggs and what the Easter eggs may or may not be. Um, and just, you know, seeing so much of the detail that our department heads, um, you know, work in, be noticed um, and appreciated by the fandom. That's so cool. Um, and as a fan, you know, ourselves to see the theories fly around, it's uh, cool and inspiring to know that, you know, people are creatively 
engaged and inspired by this. That's awesome. Well, I thank you for your time and your talent. This has been a marvelous series to watch and to cover and and speak with everyone. So uh, I appreciate your time and I'm looking forward to, to the next projects. Really appreciate you, Jandra. Oh my gosh. Thank you. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.